The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and proudly sponsored by Stoneman's Book Crew. All aboard. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to The Quiet Carriage. I'm here on Jar Jar Wurrung Country on Castle Main's 94.9 Main FM and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Today, we've got a big episode for you because we are featuring crime writing heavyweight Chris Hammer here on the show. He's here to talk to us about his new novel, Trust, amongst several other things. First off, I'd like to read you a little bit about Trust, which is out now via Alan and Unwin. Martin Scarsden's new life seems perfect, right up until the moment it's shattered by a voicemail. A single scream, abruptly cut off from his partner, Mandalay Blonde. Racing home, he finds an unconscious man sprawled on the floor, and Mandy gone. Someone has abducted her. But who and why? So starts a twisting tale of intrigue and danger as Martin probes the past of the woman he loves, a woman who has buried her former life so deep she has never mentioned it. And for the first time, Mandy finds denial impossible. Now the body of a mystery man has been discovered, a man whose name she doesn't know, a man she was engaged to marry when he died. It's time to face her demons once and for all. It's time she learned how to trust. Set in a Sydney riven with corruption and nepotism, privilege and power. Trust is the third riveting novel from award-winning and internationally acclaimed writer Chris Hammer. I know a little bit about Chris. Chris Hammer was a journalist for more than 30 years, dividing his career between covering Australian federal politics and international affairs. For many years, he was a roving foreign correspondent for SBS TV's flagship current affairs programme, Dateline. He has reported from more than 30 countries on six continents. In Canberra, roles included chief political correspondent for the Bulletin, current affairs correspondent for SBS TV, and a senior political journalist for The Age. Chris's first book, The River, was published in 2010 to critical acclaim and was a recipient of the ACT Book of the Year Award and shortlisted for the Walkley Book Award. His two fiction novels, the first one, Scrublands, and second novel, Silver, have won numerous awards, and Trust is his third novel. Chris lives in Canberra with his wife and their two children. Chris Hammer, congratulations on Trust, your third novel, out now via Alan and Unwin, and thank you so much for talking to us today on The Quiet Carriage. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. This is the third novel involving investigative reporter Martin Skarsden. Can I ask you, where did the, the seed of this story come from? Uh, well, this book, Trust, is the third, as you say, in the series, and it follows up Scrublands and Silver. The two stories in uh, Scrublands and Silver, they're crime fiction books. There's a lot going on. There's murder and mayhem and you know, who done it and why done it and how done it. Mm-hmm. But also there's a kind of, there's some deep personal stories involved with, uh, with Martin. He changes over the, um, over the duration of the books. Um, in the second book in, uh, Silver, he goes back to his old hometown where he hasn't been for 20 years mm-hmm. and he 
finally finds out what really happened to him and his family as a child and he has to come to terms with it. So when I was just finishing Silver, I was thinking, what about his partner, Mandy or Mandalay Blonde? What's her backstory? And that's the seed. That was the seed for this uh, book because we knew that from the first book, um, Mandy had grown up in a small town the town in Scrublands, left after she left school, sort of ran away from that town as quickly as she could and came back about 10 years later to look after her mother. So there was this 10-year gap. And I thought, well, if she's running away from a country town, she's not going to go to another one. Yeah. thought she'd go to a city. And so the, the seed for the book was what happened to Mandy in those 10 years, what happened in Sydney, and how could it still be a story now? So, so really, it's the events of some years ago catching up with Mandy. She's, she's thought she's put it all behind her. She thought it's all buried in the past, uh, but it's not. Because it's not a trilogy as such, because I hadn't read the first two books, but I had absolutely no problem in dropping into this story. When you were first writing Scrublands, how far ahead were you thinking in terms of books? Were you thinking in terms of a third book? <laughs> I didn't even know where the first book was going, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I, 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 what's known in the trade is a bit of a, a pantser. Mm. Um, so you get these two sort of schools of crime writers. There's the plotters and the pantsers. And the plotters are the ones who plot everything out and then write the narrative. And the Panthers are more the ones who think they know where they're going, but they start off writing and sure enough, things change. And I'm, I'm like that. I, I, I wish I could plot it out more. The trouble is, as I'm writing, inevitably I get a better idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, uh, when I was writing uh, Scrublands, I was just trying to finish that. Uh, but thank you for saying that you can read Trust as a standalone. That is the in- intention. Uh, and I've been really pleased that a number of people like you have said that they've enjoyed it without having read the, the previous books. Yeah, well, it wasn't a problem at all. Can you see there being more books involving Martin? Uh, yeah, although the, tr- the point is, um, the trouble with that is that a lot of the books are involved with his own sort of personal story and Mandy's mm-hmm. own personal story. So I, if I wrote a book and they were just kind of objective investigators, I, I did feel a bit like I was cheating the readers that having had these previous three books. So they need, they kind of need emotional skin in the game. So I need to, th- so I'm, I'm not sure what that is yet. I reckon I will come back to them, but maybe I might write, something else in the meantime that's the sort of idea i have at the moment right how important is place to you as a writer because scrublands was about a small town silver was about the sea i know we've got trust set in metropolitan sydney how, how inspiring is, is an important as place to you uh, i think setting's really important this is something i guess i learned in writing scrublands scrublands is set in a drought-ravaged town, mm-hmm. and so uh, an irrigation town with no water. So desperate times, you know, desperate people do desperate things. The setting in uh, Silver is up the north coast of New South Wales in a town that struggled in the past but has 
now being touted as a as a boom town, an ex bar and bay, if you like, mm. and that that informs the mood of the book, but also the motivations of the characters. Once again, this one, um, I, I was a bit, a little bit concerned, I guess, because this run, I wasn't going to make up a, a city on the east coast of Australia. The towns in the first two books are totally fictional. Um, but then I realised, you know, I don't have to write Sydney as it is. I'm not obliged to write an objective view of Sydney. And so the Sydney in trust is not picture postcard Sydney. So it's not the harbour and the opera house, Bondo mm. Beach. It's not that glittering blue city that, you know, of the tourist ads. Indeed, there's, there's times in the book where, where Martin kind of catches a glimpse in the distance of that sort of Sydney, and it's almost it's almost as if it's being denied to him. So it's it's a sort of more noirish Sydney, I yes. guess you can put it like that. And the um, and it's set uh, immediately post COVID. Uh, <laughs> it came up as a problem as I was writing the book. Um, I pretty much finished my polished draft and given it to the uh, the publishers about the time that COVID really hit Australia. Mm-hmm. And so I, I shifted the book forward a bit. Um, so the pandemic's gone. I don't say how or why it's gone, whether it's a vaccine or a treatment or what, what it is, but the effects are still being felt, the economic effects. So people are out of work, small businesses are struggling, etc. So that so that just gives a kind of a mood to the book and a mood to the writing and a kind of a mood to the characters too and the way they behave. So, yeah, I'm a firm believer that setting can be can be really important um, in crime fiction, indeed in all fiction. Indeed. Crime as a genre is massive. It's up there with romance and, and fantasy. Why? Why is that? Why is it bigger than, say, comedy books or, or adventure books or other genres? What What is it that appeals to the, the human psyche? You know, you're absolutely right. Particularly here in Australia, there's a huge boom in in um, crime fiction. Yes, I think part of it is, you know, people like a good plot. They like a lot more than a good plot. You've just mentioned setting, but you know, character, you know, uh, insights into you know, morality or whatever, but, you know, there's that puzzle element of whodunit. I think that's that's part of it. Also, I think one of the satisfying things about crime books is by the time the end of the, you get to the end of the book, everything's resolved. You know who the killer was and you know what happened. And importantly, you know, justice has been served. Mm. And I think that's that's kind of satisfying to many of us because real life often isn't that simple. Matters aren't resolved. Everything's not neatly, you know, tied together by, you know, by the end of the day sort of thing. So I think there's that. Also, I think it works very well on television and on streaming services. So I think people are probably watching quite a lot of crime on, you know, Netflix or ABC iView or SBS On Demand, you know, whatever. And that's kind of transferring into reading books as well. I think one feeds the other. Mm. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of crime books out there, and you have sold a lot of books. I think we're around the, you're around the 300,000 mark. 
what what's the key how how do you stand out in what's a relatively crowded market oh look that's a good question there's as you say that there's a number of very successful australian crime writers who mm. emerged over the past few years i think the key is you you need to be original in what you write and it's which is a bit tricky because you're writing within a kind of a a fairly uh, it's a fairly broad spectrum of books but you need I, th I think you probably just need a touch of flair, a bit of originality. It's no good. Uh, and I think a lot of aspiring writers fall into this trap, and that's they really like a particular author. So they more or less write this identical books or attempt to write identical books yeah. to, their, to their hero, and it just never quite works. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage on Castlemaine's 94.9 Main FM and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And now we'll return to my interview with crime novelist Chris Hammer. You were a journalist for 30 years, SBS, Fairfax, and a lot of senior jobs as well at the Bulletin, Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Do you miss journalism? Look, I think I'd miss it more if I wasn't enjoying writing books so much i mean i'm really i really love writing i found and making stuff up um and as i said just for me as a writer as i'm saying for a reader i can resolve stories i can work out who did it and hmm. i can publish it you know i don't have to worry about defamation or contempt of court or protecting sources or you know all the rest of that uh, and every now and then, no, there's a story, and I think, oh, it'll be good to be involved with that. But for the most part, no, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing too much. Yeah, because it's such a social, sociable job, journalism. I started as a journalist as well, and, you, you know, you're interviewing people, liaising with your colleagues. How do you deal with the, the isolation of being with an author? It's, it's the opposite. Yeah, look, I, I quite like, being isolated and writing for a certain period of time and i quite like the cycle of writing books in that you can lock yourself away for months on end and i'm fine with that you know i'm fine with my own company but then it's great when the book comes out you can tour around you meet other people one of the great social aspects of being a writer is being uh, asked, invited to writers festivals, mm. where not only do you meet readers, but you meet other writers. And one of the really, you know, pleasing things about being a crime writer is the crime writing fraternity is fantastic. Mm. It, it's really supportive and friendly, and people support each other and enjoy each other's success. Um, so there is a kind of social element to it. Now, this time, this time around, my books come out and it's COVID, so I can't really travel that much. You know, borders are still closed and there's risks involved. I have been able to do one fairly sizable event here in Canberra, where I live. Um, but I there is a writers' festival uh, in a few weeks' time in Sydney, a crime writing festival, yeah. that is it's going to be a hybrid online, in-person one. And I'm really looking forward to that, even even though the amount of audience will be limited through COVID restrictions. It'll be great seeing some uh, readers and seeing some you know, some old friends and catching up with some fellow writers. 
So uh, for the most part, it suits me well. Um, it's just a pity this this year is a bit restricted. Yeah. But, you know, I can't complain. Um, us riders are relatively well off, particularly compared to performing artists, yes. you know, musicians, actors, and also just to a lot of people who, you know, who are losing their jobs or businesses are going under or under stress. Mm. So any minor inconvenience this year for me, I, you know, I can hardly complain about. Yes. How good a grounding is being a journalist to, uh, to later on becoming a, a novelist? Uh, I think there's advantages and disadvantages, to be honest. One of the big advantages is you don't romanticise the process of writing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a journalist, you can't ring up your editor and say, hey, I don't think I'll file anything today because I'm not feeling inspired. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd be sacked on the spot. <laughs> and it teaches the no one really how you feel. You get on and you try and do it. And the great thing about that, actually, is sometimes the days where you absolutely don't feel like writing end up being the days somehow where you do some of your best stuff. I think you get a sensitivity for language in working as a journalist, particularly if you worked across a few different media and at different lengths. You get insights into how the world works and how people react. I mean, you may cover stories involving uh, exceptional people, exceptionally great people and brilliant people, mm. but also exceptionally bad and dysfunctional type of people. So maybe you do run into more of those sorts of people than you would in most other professions. So there's a lot going for it. Um, some journalists find it difficult to switch to the much greater time lengths involved in writing a book, and others seem to be uh, find it difficult to break away from the journalistic language mm. and to, to develop their own kind of more narrative style. So a lot of journalists try and write books, and a lot of it do, do it very successfully. There's a number of very successful crime writers in Australia who are former journalists, including Michael Robotham, Jane Harper, Peter mm. Temple, um, who, who coincidentally are the only three Australian authors who have won the, um, the UK Crime Writers Association Gold Dagger. Wow. So, um, so <laughs> I guess... <laughs> I guess it really does work for some journalists. Mm. During your 30 years of being a journalist, were you writing fiction or, or tinkering with fiction on the side? No, I wasn't really. Wow. I was too, I guess, engaged in my work. There was a point about 10 or 12 years ago where I took some time off and I wrote two non-fiction books, kind of like travel writing, um, so narrative nonfiction, it's called, and, and you can be quite descriptive and impressionistic. And I really loved doing that. I really enjoyed doing that. And I think from then on, I'd always had this idea I might write fiction. And it was after that, the second book there, where, where I made no money, I had to go back and get a real job. Um, but I reckon I, I started writing Scrublands maybe around, 2013 okay. so it took about five four or five years to write 
because I was doing it part time. Also, I also was kind of learning on the job, so I just threw out oh, hundreds of thousands of words, I reckon, as I was wow. sort of l- learning how to do it, if <laughs> I put it like that. Uh, no, so so yeah, I'm absolutely a bit of a late bloomer. And I have to ask Martin Scarsden, how much of you is in that character? Look, probably not a lot. Wow. He's, okay. I mean, certainly, certainly some of his work practices and his attitude, in some ways, to journalism, and you know, his his focus on getting the story sure. That's uh, based loosely on me, but also many of my colleagues. But um, I was a roving foreign correspondent, um, two long stints for SBS, and I wasn't really a um, a war correspondent. So often I'd be going, you know, I'd go be in japan doing a story on the economy or something like that mm-hmm. so hardly risky places but every now and then i would go into a conflict zone or, or, or somewhere a little bit hairy and i'd run into these guys these war correspondents and photographers and camera operators who basically had, had seen too much and they were suffering post-traumatic stress they were self-medicating with you know grog and drugs and they were you know they were emotionally really scarred and so he's based at the start of Scrablands. He's much more like that. He's based on those guys, and he grows uh, throughout the books. He becomes more self-aware. Martin writes or has written for the Sydney Morning Herald in the book. You don't try and change names of a lot of publications in the book. I'm just wondering what's the the legal ramifications of that. Has has there been any? No, there isn't. So when I started writing Scrublands, which is set in a fictional town, in a real landscape, it's set out on the Hay Plain, mm-hmm. but it's a fictional town for two reasons. One is just the towns out there are too spread out. I wanted a much more compact town so Martin could just walk between places. Mm-hmm. So it was just a purely practical thing. But the other problem is that this was a, a town where crime was rife if you like so i couldn't make it a real place because you know it would be defamatory to the people in the town yeah um and the same in silver it's not a problem in in sydney because sydney's so big that you know it's obvious that the people even if they're not imaginary they are all imaginary but even if they weren't it'd probably be okay and i thought well it's silly trying to no, you know, make a fictional city when it's so clearly Sydney. Mm. So go with Sydney. So in Scrublands, originally I had uh, the uh, Martin working for two papers, yeah, you know, which are essentially the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, but mm. just disguised thinly. Which, right. as you say, uh, is quite a common device in books. But then by the time I got the finish, I thought, no, look, it's just going to be better if I say Sydney Morning Herald and the Age. The problem with that is it then restricts you because mm. I can't then start writing that the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald is a criminal or something yeah. like that because it's too, you know, because the Sydney Morning Herald is a real institution and even if people, most people may not be aware who the editor is or who the you know investigations editor is or something like that um 
you know, you have to be careful. You don't want to defame people. Mm. So, and originally in writing Scrublands, it was not a really an issue because Martin is in the town. He speaks to his editor and there's another fictional journalist, but that's it. it. You know, it's got nothing to do with what's happening in Sydney or at the headquarters or whatever. So by the time I got to trust, I had to be, yeah, I had to tread a bit carefully there um, and without, and I don't want to give away too much of the plot, mm. but, you know, what's happening at the Sydney Morning Herald does become a little bit more central to the story. So, yeah, you're right, Paul. I had to be a bit careful that I, I didn't cross that boundary. Chris, I know you're busy, so I really do appreciate you taking the time today to speak to us on The Quiet Carriage. Your book, Trust, is out now via Alan Unwin. And could you leave us with a song selection? <laughs> I reckon I reckon it's got to be Paperback Rider by The Beatles. Very apt. Chris Hammer, thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate it. Paperback I'm not sure if that song needs any introduction, but I'll give it one anyway. That was Paperback Writer by, of course, The Beatles. And that was the song selection by crime author Chris Hammer, who was my guest today discussing his third novel, Trust, out now via Alan and Unwin. And that is all we have time for today on The Quiet Carriage. I've been your host, Paul J. Laverty. I'm across all the socials under that name. And you can listen to me Fridays from 1pm on Castle Main's 94.9 Main FM, mainfm.net and across Australia on the Community Radio Network and all previous episodes you can find on Spotify. Until next time, keep reading. Mm.